0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode oh god one ninety two of Mark and Sarah talk about songs. I am your co-host Sarah DeBunting, and I am here with the operatic Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Hello, Sarah B. Hello, Sarah B. Hello, Sarah
1: B. That stands for Bunting.
0: I. This is one of the themes that does get stuck in my head. I. I must say weirdly it doesn't seem like this would be the one this one and um uh new wave oh Um, hello listeners welcome to mark and sarah talk about songs like i said uh mark has brought today's contemplated pop song to us today mark what are we listening to and why okay so we
1: are going to be talking about marvin Gaye's rendition of i heard it through the grapevine because it has one of the most interesting histories of pop music history. Wait, what? It has one of the most interesting histories of any hit song of the 60s, I think. And we've also never talked about Marvin Gaye on this show, and Marvin Gaye was an amazing artist. So, also a bonus. Um so what I want to do, Sarah, however, before we get to Marvin Gaye's version, if you'll allow me to be shocking, is to first play a clip, not of his version, which was a hit in 1968, but to play a clip of the version of the song that was recorded by Gladys Knight and the Pips a year prior in 1967 and reached number two on the Hot 100.
0: Um, Before I play this clip, let me ask you this. Is it your impression that I would ever deny anyone the opportunity to bask in some pip shade? No,
1: you're right. Oh my God. You're right. It's like I,
0: you don't know me at all. <laughs> I apologize for the error. <laughs> well, but here's a in little fact, snippet. I didn't know this version very well at all. So I think playing this clip first is instructive. So I'm going to do that right now.
1: Yes. Sarah, let's pretend for a moment that this is the only version of the song that we've ever heard. Okay. It's a fucking awesome song, and she sounds great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the pips are providing shade. You know what's funny? I recently read Jim DeRogatis' Soulless, The Case Against R. Kelly, and Gladys Knight's name keeps coming up because I think her husband or like ex-husband was tied into the r kelly management team and it's just like oh gladys um like i you know she she has no uh, she has no um real involvement in that it's just like oh like don't (laughs) book get gladys's name out of your mouth please (laughs) the the pips probably have something to say about that as well and i am i am here for it um it's it is interesting. We don't have a clip of the Creedence Clearwater Revival version, but the this the many directions that this song can take in terms of how, um, first of all, how much um, growth the narrator does within the song, and second mm-hmm. of all, how much like um, paranoia and sort of. Like, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like in the Credence version, the guy is sitting there with a pint glass of brown liquor and a gun. And mm. the, and you're sort of like, uh huh. Like, sh- sh- what, what, whatever you say, Billy Ray, I'm just going to go to the car, and get my cigarettes. And then you run away. <laughs> this feels like more of a, um, like a kiss-off in the style of Aretha's Baby I Love You, which is not a kiss-off song, but it's just much more like, you know, it ain't that love for you. And then Marvin Gaye's version is a completely different journey.
1: Yes. So I completely agree with you. One of the things that I find so interesting about Gladys Knight's version is it does make me think of Aretha Franklin and actually it makes me think of the song Think because it's yes. something about I am so irritated with you you asshole that i'm actually kind of enjoying my anger there's this liberation of being just so mad at somebody that you're actually kind of in a good mood and the rhythm and the instrumentation of this song certainly uh gets that point across and like yeah. you said the pips are just back there instead of shading gladys like they are in uh uh midnight train to georgia they're <laughs> shading the no good man because they're like you could just see them popping up behind her and being like heard it through the grapevine that you're an asshole
0: Pole. yeah <laughs> oh while we're here and talking about things that the pips would shade which is basically everything because they're awesome i should note listeners Um, The reopening of New York City for phase one involves construction, specifically next door to Mastas' Brooklyn HQ. So if you hear random thumping and banging, first of all,
1: that's what she said. (laughs) And second
0: of all, I apologize. There's just not a whole lot I can do about that. Together, we'll get through this. Anyway, sorry. Back to like things that you don't need a grapevine to hear.
1: Um, I also now have to take yet another sidebar. I, Upon re-listening to the Gladys Knight version, which, again, was a number two hit in 1967, they were the first act to have a hit with this song, so it wasn't like it was uh, a throwaway for them. But re-listening to it got me listening to some of their other hits, and they have a song from 1989 that reached number 11 on the Hot 100 called Love Overboard. I remember and that song. It, it contains... So Gladys Knight references herself in the song. And she's like, people keep saying, Gladys, slow down. And then later in the song, in the perhaps single best moment of Pip's shade in the history of this group, the Pip's just go, Gladys, Gladys, Gladys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that.
1: And it's a really long song, and that comes really late in the song. So it's like this gift you didn't know you were going to receive. Gladys, 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 Gladys. Gladys, Gladys. (laughs) Oh, but she doesn't care. She's love overboard. Anyway, yeah. the point is... <laughs> they're
0: sort of like, you know, <laughs> 10 feet behind her in a row, like, right, yeah. tell her. <laughs> We're like, we would throw you a life raft, but we
1: think that you got yourself in this situation, so... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, G- good luck.
1: What have we it, learned, Gladys? <laughs> it's like how um, it's like how Diane Weist and Stalker Channing leave for a while in Practical Magic so that Sandra Bullock
0: and Nicole Kidman can sort their shit out themselves. You did learn something from the movie. (laughs) Thank you for including that and pretending that you liked it even a little for my sake. (laughs) I appreciate you. I mean, it stuck with me at least to that level.
1: So what's interesting is that as far as Barry Gordy, head of Motown Records was concerned, this was going to be the single version of, I heard it through the grapevine, meaning it was going to be the version that was released as a single. Other artists recorded it. um, uh, the Miracles had it on an album in uh, that came out in 1968. Although they had recorded it in 1966, there that, are. Have
0: you listened to that version? I have not. Um, it's inessential. <laughs> I just think it's like a really, um, like it is possible to read the, this song incorrectly, and I w- would argue that they do. Oh, shit.
1: Well, and then there's also a supposed version of the song recorded at the time by the Isley Brothers that no one has ever heard. And it's just, as we've spoken about in recent episodes, this is how it really was in the 60s. There would be a good song, and everybody would record it, and then the version that became the hit was the one that sort of bubbled up out yeah, of the Thunder mass. Yeah, yeah. But Marvin Gaye's version made Barry Gordy unhappy and he was never going to release it, but Marvin Gaye pushed and pushed and then in 1968, it appeared at the end of an album called Heard It Through the Grapevine and eventually uh, called I I Heard It Through the Grapevine, as is, sorry, the name of the song. And it wasn't at the end, it was track four. I'm going to back up and pretend like I didn't mess that entire statement up. Marvin Gaye did in (laughs) 1968. You don't have to cut that out, Sarah. I just want to acknowledge that I'm a human being. Um, Marvin Gaye recorded the song and it was put on a 1968 album track four called I Heard It Through the Grapevine but Marvin Gaye was never going to be allowed to release it as a single but things happen people hear things DJs play songs and then the next thing you know this is the version of the song that becomes a massive multi-week number one less than a year after the Gladys Knight and the Pips version here is a clip of what Marvin Gaye did with I Heard It Through the Grapevine Sarah, the reason I wanted to play the Gladys Knight version first is this is to me one of the best examples I can think of of a version of a song being so spiritually correct that it makes other versions of the song that don't take this emotional approach feel wrong. Even though Gladys Knight's version came first and it is still very good, I think it sounds wrong compared to this version
0: yeah I mean I think there are i think there is a spectrum of interpretations like I said before, but the the other discussion to be had is the is the way in which this song between being now an oldie and having been an oldie for m- most of our adult lives and having been used by the california raisins yes the i mean leaving aside my detestation of raisins, we're talking in a more general way about, like, you know, the doors being used to sell big lighters or whatever the fuck, that it has the effect of neutering this song's... Uh, neutering the song. Um, and it, that's a word that I use advisedly because you kind of stop... It, it's been in the culture so long that I think many of us kind of stop hearing it, it for what it actually is which mm-hmm. is in my opinion first of all you are on this journey of increasing distress with the narrator and the implic, like increasingly menacing line readings there is the sense um i put this in my notes and as my therapist would say nothing means nothing um that the backup singers are these ladies who sound as though they are not captive but they're they're not they don't really want to be there they are mm-hmm. sort of they have been conscripted into agreeing with this narrator who is becoming increasingly um unmoored from self-control and whatever yes. is going to happen after the song, uh, that you get all of this from this performance, which is aurally, like, pleasing, but is also in complete control of the narrator's being out of control. And yes. And knowing everything that we know now about Marvin Gaye's childhood and his substance abuse struggles and his um, let's go with unconventional romantical life um, and possibly illegal at certain junctures we we are obliged to say that I I think this song is worth not just listening to, again, the way we listen to it and sort of doing this, like, you know, (laughs) get out your bingo cards, here comes the word exegetical, but that this there is so much in this song about, not misogyny exactly, but like the um, power differential in... um, relationships and there's so much like of the cycle of abuse in this song and that you can't separate from his biography that listening to it now and I think you were so smart to get one of the other versions in here and compare it especially Mm -hmm. that version because I you know I think that hearing that first is like it, it lets you hear how much more Marvin Gaye has put into this song that makes it, I I think art like it, that. It bring it kicks it up a level from m- not mere, but like just pop craftsmanship to this. Like there's much more depth to this version, even though that depth is like depth, like you're going downhill to dark places. Right. I said enough. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, Hey, listen, there's a lot to say. I, um, so I agree with you so much that what is tucked inside this song that Marvin Gaye and Norman Whitfield, who produced it with him and also co-wrote the song, that they tease out is this dread, this anxiety, and this menace. And that slowed down sort of mysterious tempo, the foregrounding of the hand drums, which Mm -hmm. feel very visceral. They feel like you can feel the human skin making the sound sort of in your body that teases out the menace of this song in a way that the Gladys Knight version doesn't. And I feel like it also to me indicates that for better or for worse, I believe that the the menace of this song is only present when a man sings it. Yes. Because like because we as a culture are sort of trained to expect women to find out about their cheating men and then find their power in walking away from them and we're trained to expect that if a man has been betrayed he will go he will be violent it's like what margaret atwood says uh men are afraid that women will laugh at them women are afraid that men will kill them men will kill them yep and i think that that once you hear it in the way that Marvin Gaye performs it, you can't go back. It's what I mean when I say that the Gladys Knight version sounds wrong. Not that it's bad. It's just that I don't think that you can go back. Once you know what this song can be, it's like you can't unknow the menace in the song when you hear anyone else sing it. And I just, I can't really think of that many instances. The Always On My Mind episode is a great example of this. There are, it's not like, I've, Prefer the Pet Shop Boys version, but they didn't do anything with the song that just obliterated my ability to to hear other interpretations. Like something about what Marvin Gaye and and Norman Whitfield tease out here just to me feels like oh shit, that's it. And I would say that the Credence version, and in fact every other version of the song recorded after this version, are all in response to the Marvin Kaye version. And one way yeah.
0: Or, or are trying to underline it from like a different cultural perspective. Like I, I do think that CCR get at this, um, this journey from the man, like pleading with the woman, not to break his heart slash embarrass him. Right. To this much darker place where it's like, well, like now that I know that this has been done to me by you, Yes, some really dark shit is going to go down.
1: Like when Gladys Knight and the Pips recorded it, it didn't feel like it might be a murder ballad, and now it feels like it might be a murder. Yeah, ballad.
0: that. It, yeah, it's like the. Um, this is where intent is proven, <laughs> basically. If you if you bring this to a court of law, <laughs> um, and it's also really, um, it's also really interesting at this time in human history. Uh as we record this listeners, it's the middle of June 2020. And uh to think about and there be constant comparisons being made to 1968. And to sort of look at um all the ways that Marvin Gaye responded to history and culture in his songs at that time, like, I'm thinking specifically Mm. of what's going on, which um, is we need to come up with a term for the song that um, iPod Shuffle or, like, Apple Music Shuffle never doesn't pop up. Like, (laughs) I have a gazillion songs, and at some point during Old Lady Walk, what's going on comes up. I don't get it. I, I mean, I love... The song and listening to it lately has been um, a a balm and um, I don't know what the, I don't know what the word is. I have fresh ears for it, let's say. Mm, But mm -hmm. to, I don't know, I think Marvin Gaye has been in like the pantheon of pop and soul for so long that we can forget how he got there and how the fact that he was deeply a part of his own time made him timeless. Mm -hmm. And I think that this song is an excellent example of that and a really cool thing to think about right now in June of 2020. Like, why does this artist still speak to us?
1: Yes, and it's such a great way of putting that. Yeah, and I also found myself in really listening to the Gladys Knight version able to hear the Marvin Gaye version with fresh ears. And it made me feel thrilled by his artistry because what he's doing as a vocalist, obviously the technical aspects of his singing are incredible. The way that he is able to go up into that
0: falsetto, but not lose any of his control.
1: He's like,
0: I just, I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you about it.
1: And, but it's like lots of singers can hit the notes, but very few of them can tell a story with the notes, the way that he is doing. And I just feel like that is another one of the reasons that, for instance, I find What's Going On to be such a timelessly powerful song, because the pain of the song is so evident in the way that Marvin Gaye sings it.
0: Uh, It is. I think I will probably use that as our outro uh, for this episode. But um, there is something about the rendition of uh, the line, War is Not the Answer, that... yeah like there are so many emotions sort of fighting with each other in in a you know <laughs> in one bag <laughs> in that line that he's like you know war isn't the answer but it feels like it is and even if it's not the answer what was the question and also we're going to war anyway and by we i mean people of color who didn't know a congressman and right There's just, like, I mean, it's just heavy with history and portent, but it's also beautifully sung. And Mm -hmm. there is that uh, capital R, romantic, sublime, like, there's, like, all this negativity in these emotions, but his translation of them is so expert and beautiful and... I, you know, I I think it was hard for him to do this. I think it took a toll on him to be this artist in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously, as you alluded to, Marvin Gaye's personal life is filled with so much tragedy, including, of course, the ultimate tragedy of being murdered by his own father. Yeah. And it's so and he had a really, really serious drug problem he was apparently devastated by the death of Tammy Terrell who was his uh duets partner right around this time yes. in the 60s on lots of really classic motown songs and it's just it's it takes us back to that age old question of like where can you d- separate out the life of the person who created the art and the art itself and um it, and i it's hard not to hear a Marvin Gaye song and remember how he died, for instance.
0: Yeah, and that that was the culmination of years of horrible abuse by his father. And yeah, um, yeah this is something that, you know, in college we were sort of asked to think about constantly in terms of like, how do you unpack a piece of literature? Do you go from a like new critical standpoint and completely divorce the creator's biography from everything? And I think that I don't, you know, I think it's useful to try to do that sometimes. But I think particularly in pop music and older pop music from the middle of the previous century, that it's not you can't do only that. Right. Because what makes an artist able to make their art is their lives. So especially in this case, I also just think that um, he is, like I said, um, not that the edges are sanded off of him, but it's like, well, yeah, he's in Cooperstown and why discuss it? Like, well, no, let's discuss why. Why? This person, like, probably doesn't even need a last name when we talk about him in the context of pop music.
1: Right. If you say Marvin, you know exactly which person you mean.
0: Yeah. So, uh, like, I I think that it's, I think that you can't separate them. And I also think that there is a, um, there is an attempt with some songs to, like, divide up the artist's sadness and and give a little bit of it to us to carry and mm. i th- i think that that is happening here to an extent what's going on m- definitely that but yeah i mean this is i think this is now an underrated song somehow because it's been on so many best of lists that people like don't even hear it for what it is anymore
1: Yes, I think that's well said. It it becomes such a classic that you have to fight to hear it again. And I am really glad that we did the work we did on this episode because it really has allowed me to rehear the song and to feel my multitude of feelings about how sad his passing is, how complex his life was, how perfect he is as the narrator of the artistic experience of this song. All of those things clash together in a way that I find... Painful in a, in a good way, like the good kind of pain where art makes you, f- like forces you to feel things that you need to confront. And I feel like yeah. this song gets, gets me there so effortlessly. And uh, I'm just really, like you were saying, I mean, this is one of the most emotionally fraught times in our country's history, especially in our recent history, as we contend with our marrow deep and apparently unchanged commitment to white supremacy in the way that much of the country is operated. And we've always known that those things were there, but much like but sometimes you have to really look at them again to see them in a different way. And it's like all of those emotions bubbling up, having the art of someone like Marvin Gaye, like, it helps me access and and process some of those feelings.
0: Yeah. And, you know, thank you for bringing this song Out for discussion because I will admit, I was like, what is there to say about this? Like, it sort of went on our upcoming list um, in Google Docs. And I was like, all right, I'm up for it, but I feel like I got, I'm going to have nothing. Because, like I said before, when you first think about this song, you're like, well, yeah, it's a classic. And, but I mean, sit with it, you guys, and like, let us know if you agree. about this sort of um, dark art (laughs) I guess for lack of a, a better term Mother, mother There's too many of you to cry Brother,
1: brother, brother There's far
0: too many of you you know we've got
1: to find y'all mark and sarah talk about songs is hosted by mark blankenship aka me and sarah d bunting and it's edited by sarah d bunting as well do you want to talk to mark and sarah about song requests ads or birthday readings email us at talkaboutsongs@gmail.com. at gmail.com tweet us at talksongs, songs or find us on facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast to become a supporter and producer of this podcast visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening
0: Don't punish me Sister. with brutality Sister. Talk to me Sister. so you can see Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe.